welcome to your podcast or mine, where the creative minds behind the mic are interviewed. Now, let's get things started. Here's your host, Sherry. Hi there, welcome to your podcast or mine. I'm Sherry, and on today's show, I'm speaking with Phil Corbett, the creative mind behind the podcast, Fan Sounds. How are you today? I appreciate you calling in. Yeah, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. So why don't you tell me about Van Sounds? What is the premise of the podcast? Van Sounds is a podcast about movement, which basically means that I cover music and travel, because both of those have a lot to do with music, and the combination of them is really interesting to me. Uh, it started, Vanson started in 2013 as a touring podcast. I was the drummer of a band and just basically got a mic and started doing interviews with people around the country and then would do a lot of the narration from the back of a tour van. So yeah, in short, it's a show about music and travel and about the intersection between the two. That's awesome. I love the show. I've listened to a bunch of the episodes. <laughs> They're all really cool and very interesting. The ones that I really resonated with were Dead Air because I was in radio for a long time, but I didn't know that location actually had an alarm if there was dead air. That's kind of freaky. I mean, that episode is just all about how freaked out people are about silence and how radio stations specifically have, you know, alarms to tell somebody when silence is happening, which is just so hypocritical and funny to me. But yeah, that's exactly what the whole series was about. That's a three-part series, and it's just about, you know, our relationship with silence. And I guess it is sort of hypocritical as well to have a podcast about silence or a podcast series, but it was really fun to, you know, look into and just sort of, sort of, explore all of these different representations of silence. Oh, yeah. I grew up in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. So there was a highway, Route 80, that was right behind my house. It was, you know, several hundred uh, yards away. If there was a blizzard or an accident, it would be completely silent, and it would wake me up out of a deep sleep because it was so quiet. Interesting. (laughs) I think that that's what I found so cool in that series was this idea of the difference between expected silence and unexpected silence. Because when it's something you're searching for, it's a totally different experience than when it's something that you aren't searching for and aren't expecting. You know, suddenly like silence in the middle of a conversation or in the middle of the night when you're used to sound kind of signals like, oh, there's something wrong you know, this isn't doing what I thought it would do, which is just such an interesting concept to me. Right. And for those that are looking for silence, like I I try to find solace in in silence sometimes, but then I get there and it's nirvana for like maybe 45 minutes to an hour. (laughs) And then I'm driving myself crazy. It's either a failure of the silence or like a return to that noise. Cause that, that is a part of that, that I looked into a lot was this idea of internal silence and internal voice, like internal monologue. And I, I would frequently find, I went on, I think in episode two on the silent series, I went 
on a backpacking trip for three or four days where I just didn't listen to anything at all. I didn't read. I didn't have any sort of media like consumption. And my thought was that eventually my internal monologue would shut down and like that kind of driving you crazy feeling of having silence would dissipate. But somehow it stayed almost the entire time. I was there for three or four days and I want to say that there was like a 30 second period where my internal monologue turned off and then I realized that it turned off and I was like, Oh, that's so cool. It turned off. Oh no, I'm ruining it right now. Oh yeah. And so it's like that, yeah, that idea of like, I don't know. I can't tell if that driving feeling like you've been driven crazy from silence comes from having too much silence or from failing to continue to have silence, if that makes sense. Right. I got that. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) So (laughs) another one that I connected with was Current Joys, that episode, where you speak with the member of the band Current Joys, and the contrast between phone calls is just crazy. I've been on bands uh tour buses before and I've gone to a couple of cities with different bands because in a former life I was a music journalist so I get that that being on tour isn't as glamorous as people think that it is (laughs) you know you really don't know until you're living it so like when I was growing up I always thought oh that's so cool you know they're going across the country and it must be so cool but there are so many highs and lows it's crazy for instance you know he had this awkward run-in with a bartender in Florida about where to set up a merchandise table and the next city the van was broken into and then They got the stomach flu, and then they had, like, this really awesome show. Yeah, and that was part of the early decision to cover music and traveling musicians was this idea of just how volatile the entire thing is and how music just kind of drives people to do really insane things. And one of them is living in a small Ford van with six other people for two months at a time. And yeah, when my friend Nick posted something like, oh man, we're going on tour. I'm already tired thinking about it. And I just thought of that exact juxtaposition that you just brought up where, you know, the first couple of times you go on tour, when you're thinking about going on tour, it's this cool romantic thought. And then you actually go on tour and it's really difficult. And there's all of these serious tests to how cool it is. And still Mm -hmm. somehow at the end of the day, it's just as cool as you expected, but also way harder than you expected and sometimes completely terrible and unbearable, you know? Yeah, well, I have a friend whose um, husband is in a band and they play in Europe a lot. So he's Mm -hmm. across the world and he comes home after doing that for two or three months and He's like a completely different person for like a week. But when you're on the road and things pop up and you can't be there because you're across the country, but yet you still have the burden of dealing with whatever is going on. And then you have your friends hitting you up. Oh, you're going to be here. We should hook up. And it all sounds really, but once you're in that city, probably the only thing that you want to do is get a good meal in your stomach, you know? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a lot of really interesting points. I think one of the main reasons I decided to interview Nick as well is simply because his band is named Current Joys and that he sings (laughs) a lot about being present and he it, it was just something that I thought really fit the entire theme of touring really well. It's that you are really far away from your real life. You are in this totally different bubble. You are sometimes, you know, 10, 20 hours ahead in this completely different world and you're detached from your normal life. But in doing that, ideally what you achieve is like this being present. You know, you achieve this presence that you couldn't achieve if you were at home working your job, if you were at home with your spouse or, you know, taking care of all those responsibilities. Suddenly you're in some like far away place in charge of everything that happens. And there's just like this, ideally, this really romantic, interesting presence that comes with that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So what compelled you to become a podcaster? uh, Were you involved in broadcasting before? Or was it something that you heard that turned you on to it? How did that happen? Yeah, this is a good story, as like origin stories usually aren't, but I like this one. So when I was 19, I was in college here in Reno, Nevada, and I had just kind of a really rough first year of college where I didn't know what I was doing and I was kind of directionless and decided that instead of going to the third semester of college that I would just hitchhike across the country and try to do this like kind of self-finding mission at 19. And I did it. I hitchhiked all the way to Vermont and on the way, I think I was in Colorado and I got picked up by these two college-aged people, and they had NPR on, and it was This American Life. And I remember listening. It was either David Sedaris or Scott Carrier. It was somebody who was just really compelling, and I really loved this story. And I was sitting in the back seat of this car with these strangers, and I was thinking, like, wow, I can do that. Like, I'm into writing. I already kind of know how to record through music stuff. Maybe radio is what I should be doing. And so at the end of that trip, when I got back to Reno, I ended up re-enrolling at my university as a journalism major and started studying specifically radio. And yeah, that's how I got into it. And then from there, I worked at the local public radio station for a summer and just kind of got involved in music radio as well. So yeah, kind of this big, long journey that basically just, like, illuminated the fact that I really liked audio, and I really liked storytelling, and this seemed just like the perfect way to, you know, marry those two passions. That really is an awesome origin story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I couldn't even imagine hitchhiking across the country at 19. I was so, like, confused as to what – I mean, maybe I should have done that. <laughs> if it's okay if I ask you a question, I'm really curious, like, how did you start into music journalism? How did you, like, find that path? What was your first step in? I went to college right out of high school. I was 17. I got my FCC license at 17. So I did that. I was always a good writer. So someone approached me. I think I met a pen pal who had 
a, a fanzine, and people said that my articles were good, so I just submitted wherever I could, and I got into a lot of regional papers. So, you know, that's that's basically how that started. <laughs> that's that's a yeah, short cool. Story. <laughs> no, that's really cool. Like getting in through zines too. I think that there's like a really unique sensibility, like a DIY sensibility that zines and you know the best side of podcasting share. So that that's really exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, I did a lot of showcasing bands that were independent or regional that really weren't getting airplay. So that's what the genesis was to give independent podcasters more of a voice because I find that a lot of people covering podcasts and I think it's great but I think they focus on like the heavy hitters like and I love NPR don't get me wrong but they focus on NPR the luminary the big guys and the independent voices aren't being heard or exposed so that's why I started this one. Yeah, I think that if you look at any of the top 100 lists, it's so rare to find indies, you know, in the last, like, three or four years. It's just, you know, really rare to find anybody that isn't associated with NPR. Just like you said, it's a very hard marketplace to break into. There's just a lot of noise, so it's hard to catch anybody's ear. Right, and, you know, there are are over 800,000 podcasts right now. So yeah. out of you know, so that means like 799,900 podcasts aren't being focused on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was good on the fly match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that wasn't my good subject, let me tell you what. So <laughs> So <laughs> So what type of equipment do you use to record and edit your shows since you're traveling? So I use a bunch of different equipment. My main setup when I'm traveling is this old Marantz PMD 660, which I think in a past life was a public radio recorder. And I use that with just this Audio-Technica shotgun mic. So that's my main go-to radio kit when I'm doing interviews. Then at home, I have just like a little home studio set up. I record in my bedroom, most of the voiceover, and have like an AKG mic for that. As I mentioned, I'm into music production and music recording to some degree, so I'm very lucky that I have access to some nice mics and friends with nice mics and like the ability to borrow a mic and try a new mic out while traveling and then a lot of especially the early van sound stuff was all simply just a zoom recorder i kept it on my belt loop and i would just have it on me at all times and record constantly so i've slowly moved past the keeping it on my belt loop thing but now i usually have it you know in a backpack or nearby when i'm traveling how regular are you releasing episodes, or um, what can we expect for 2020 for Van Sounds? Yeah, so lately I've actually been very slow to release them. I was doing about once a month from, let's see, I started in 2013. I want to say 2015, 16, 17. I was doing roughly one a month. 
And then in 2018, I ended up getting a job with USA Today's The City, which is like an investigative journalism podcast. So that ended up taking up a huge amount of my time, and I released a lot less often in the last couple of years. But that just wrapped up, so I'm starting to pick it back up. And to answer that second question, what to expect in 2020, I think I'm doing a lot more live shows as Van Sounds, um, and I'm shooting to start booking some small tours, kind of similar to DIY music tours. So I just got word that I'm performing at the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering in Elko at the end of the month, which is a really interesting event and a really cool place to be for that weekend. So I'm performing there, and then I'm performing at Tree Fort Music Festival in Boise, Idaho as well. So ideally, a bunch of live stuff will be what Van Sounds is doing in 2020. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that sounds really, like, compelling and different content, too. Yeah, so, like you mentioned, that you worked on The City, and you were the producer on that show. Am I right? Yeah, yep, I was the field producer. So, basically, there were two of us in town, um, a reporter and then me, the producer, and so I would be just kind of like the audio support for all of the reporting trips. And I did a little research, too, and I saw that you wrote an episode for a podcast called 20,000 Hertz. Yeah, I am also doing a lot of just freelance stuff, and that is one of them. I've written two published episodes for 20,000 Hertz. I'm working on another two right now that I – let's see. I turned it in last week. I think it – I don't know when it comes out, but it's in the middle of production so, yeah, I've worked for them and then have worked also for the Dirtbag Diaries and just kind of generally try to pick up as much small work and writing gigs as possible just because I think it's really good to, you know, keep the chops up in general. Oh, yeah, so. for sure. <laughs> the, the podcast has been around since 2013, so it's not like you're a new kid on the block, but podcasting has really exploded in the last two years don't you think i mean basically like two years ago if you said oh i have a podcast people would be what is that what the hell is that what are you talking about <laughs> now you say podcast yeah, and they're definitely. like oh yeah this american life grammar girl or a true crime <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and that's i think the amount of times I've had to answer what's a podcast has just dropped dramatically in the last three years. Yeah, like when I started, I would frequently have to say, well, it's like a radio show on the internet. And now I don't have to say <laughs> that anymore, which I think it's really nice. Yeah, I, like you said, it like 2013 is kind of ancient in podcast terms, which is, it's just so funny. I'm, you know, I'm 29. So it's funny to think of myself as a veteran of anything at all. I mean, it just made sense at the time that I think had it been six years before, I would just have sent it to the community radio station instead of uploading it to my own website, which is really cool. Like the ability to start a creative pursuit that you kind of have full creative control over and don't need to get permission to do. I think it makes perfect sense that it has exploded so much in the last, you know, two to five to six years. It is something that is 
really sustainable, I think, for a lot of people. So it makes sense that, you know, more and more people would do it and use it as an outlet. Yeah, and I think that uh, for uh, people, it's a good way to connect with other people who like the same topic, whether it's music or mm-hmm. murder or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I th- I think, I mean, that's been a huge goal of the podcast for me is a way to connect with people in new places. And specifically with musicians, it's worked really well where, for instance, my own band was touring in Brazil a few years ago. And that's a great way to meet up with people and meet new people. But through the podcast, I could also find, you know, musicians that were way bigger than us and more interesting than we were and like figure out how to meet up with them, whereas I wouldn't be able to otherwise. So, you know, I'd send them a interview request and then I'd end up meeting these really cool, interesting musicians and get to know them and get to understand more about their country and understand more about why they made the music they made. And that's exactly like you said, it's just such a good way to connect with people and not just sources either. I mean, connecting with listeners as well. And so many listeners have given me, you know, travel recommendations and food recommendations and new music and new ideas that I just never would have had those relationships if it weren't for, you know, having a podcast. Yeah, that's really great uh, to get to know someone and the communities that they live in. So, you know, if you're in that place touring or just visiting, you could go to that restaurant that they recommended instead of going to the tourist trap or to the fast yeah. food joint because it's convenient. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's that's basically the personal goal for me with both music and podcasting is to connect with people that I wouldn't otherwise connect with. And it absolutely does that just in spades. So for people listening um, to this podcast, what advice would you give to them if they want to start a podcast and don't know where to start? That's a good question. I think the best advice I've ever gotten on any project is to just do it. Like start today, start working on it. If there's something that you're interested in and curious about, the best possible thing you can do is just start researching, start reading, start interviewing, and figure it out as you go along. Because if you try to figure out how to do it in advance, you'll probably never start because there's just so much and it's so complicated. But if you just start and then figure it out as you go along, you will inevitably get better and better and better. So that's my advice. Just start today. Yeah. And, and, you know, there was a a Facebook uh, group that someone had posted on and she said, I want to start, but I don't know what to do. How do I start? And I said basically the same thing that you said. You know, there are some people that have sat on their idea for six months, a year, two years, and their biggest regret is that they didn't start sooner because podcasting, just like anything else, just like tying your shoes or riding a bike, learning how to play the drums, you know, you're going to get better as you go along. 
yeah i mean it would just be crazy to think like i said th- i'm gonna learn the drums i'm gonna read a bunch of articles about how to play the drums like you would never do that you know you would find a drum set and you would start playing with it and then you would take lessons and then you'd read articles about how to hold the sticks in this certain technique like you would at some point look for that kind of counsel but I don't think that's where you start I think you should start with the seed of passion that brought you to it which is just to do it band sounds since it's been around for a while you have gotten some buzz going on and some exposure too from certain travel publications and websites which is really awesome and it it probably helped boost the listenership up from that too so i think with being one of the earlier podcasts that have been out there i think that differentiated you from a lot of the others as well wouldn't you agree Oh, sure. Yeah. And for instance, I think the biggest jump in kind of like hype and listenership was about three-ish years ago, I got a piece on the Dirtbag Diaries, which is, I think they're from 2007, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, they were like one of the very first podcasts out there. And they do entirely outdoor stuff and adventure stuff. And super cool people do a good show. And I reached out to them and were just, just said, Hey, I'm like working on this series. I think that it might be a cool fit. Let me know if you're interested. And I honestly expected it was like, you know, sending a letter to, you know, the president or something. I did not expect that they would get back, but sure enough, they did. And basically I think I want to say it was a six, part series and we shortened it down to like 30 minutes so just completely cut the thing really really short and they aired it and that was one of those moments where just the show seemed really possible to keep going and like really sustainable and still to this day I get iTunes comments that were like oh I found you through the Dirtbag Diaries which is really cool and so that that experience kind of repeated itself multiple times of just figuring out like oh, if I reach out to these cool shows, most likely there are people just like me that are also really passionate about this thing and are excited to work with other passionate people. And I think almost all of the show's success and hype has come specifically just from asking and collaborating. So have there been any resources or people that have really helped you along with the podcast? Yeah, let's see. One person that helped a lot was Sam Greenspan, uh, formerly of 99% Invisible. That was another show that I just sent like a demo tape to basically saying, hey, this is what I'm doing over in Reno. And he reached out and we talked on the phone and he ended up getting me the job at the city with USA Today. And then he's been a really good resource of just helping point in the right direction. I think the local community station, KWNK, has been a great resource. They air all of the Van Sounds episodes and are just generally really supportive and help out. Yeah, I think those are the big two. And then, of course, just like I've drawn inspiration from so many different people and different books and different ideas. There's so many, I, I would say maybe the biggest source of inspiration is just hearing other shows that get me excited and make me think like, oh, I could try something like that. 
also a question that is not podcasting related, but what was your first concert, and do you have any memories of it that you could share? So I very vaguely remember my first concert. Both my my parents are very cool and brought me to Ray Charles when I was, I think, four or five. And I can vaguely remember the stage. And I don't know if that's a real memory or a reconstructed memory. But I do know that that was my first concert. And then the first one I remember was maybe a couple years later, and it was James Brown here in Reno. So, yeah, they brought me and my brother to some pretty cool first concerts. Wow. (laughs) My first concert was in Philadelphia in 1984 and close to 100 degrees. And it was this thing called Shining Sea. It was the Beach Boys, Jones Jet, Frank Stallone. Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. that's That's a really good one, too. I I have so many friends whose first concert was like the Backstreet Boys or something like that. And I I mean, there's absolutely merit in that too, I think, but it definitely feels cool to be able to, you know, say Ray Charles or I imagine say Joan Jett or the Beach Boys, like what a good introduction to live music, you know? Oh yeah. You beat me for sure. Ray Charles. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know. know. Yeah. Definitely. I wish I remembered it more. I do remember the James Brown show pretty well. I remember me and my brother and like the entire auditorium were like dancing in the aisles and it was like a really, I remember it being a really crazy show at one of the, it was at one of the casinos, um, like casino auditoriums here in Reno. Uh Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. So before we give information about band sounds and how people can listen to it, do you have anything else to promote either personally or professionally? Yeah, actually. So when you asked what what else I was working on earlier and what's to come in the next year. So I've been slowly playing with the idea of launching a new show that's sort of like the next step from band sounds for me. And it's going to be called The Wind is the plan. And so I'm slowly working out a handful of episodes of The Wind. And hopefully by summer, the end of the year, I'll have something published. So that's the next step. Other than that, I think just subscribing to Van Sounds. And I don't have too much to plug other than, you know, my podcast on your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you'll have to come back when the wind comes out, for sure. How can people listen to the podcast and locate you on social media if they wanted to reach out or just find you? Yeah, so any app that you have, if you just type in Van Sounds, it'll probably be the first entry. It is like a black and white and red logo. And then you can go to vansounds.org. And I have all the links to everywhere you can subscribe there. And then I think the only two, I have a Facebook that I don't use very often. I have a Twitter that I use somewhat often. And then my main social media is Instagram. So if you just search Van Sounds on Instagram, you could find me there. And I'm constantly posting pictures of reference material and hikes and stuff that, you know, is loosely related to the show. Do you have anything else to add? Something that I didn't mention that you'd like to? 
No, I don't think so. I really appreciate you having me on. And I think that there is something really cool about podcasting as a media to explore audio or explore music because they're both audio. I think that that's something that really makes sense to me that podcasts would be so music focused just because you can talk about these things intimately and then show somebody what it sounds like. So yeah, I'm just really grateful that a fellow music journalist is running a podcast and, you know, sharing that same kind of passion. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Phil, for joining me on your podcast or mine. I thank you for your time and, and for giving us a call. It's Yeah, it was thanks so much fun. for having me. Thank you. It was fun. <laughs> and to everyone listening to your podcast or mine, we'll chat soon. Take care. Maine, the northernmost state in America, usually thought of as a quaint, safe vacation destination. Our motto is, the way life should be. But did you know serial killer John Joseph Jobert was raised in Maine and was convicted of three stabbing murders of young boys? Or the unsolved abduction of baby girl Ayla Reynolds, supposedly stolen from her bed near Christmas 2011? Her body has never been found. These are just two of the main stories Murderific has covered. We cover crimes from all areas and main cases as well. Murderific True Crime Podcast, hosted by me, Bernadette, can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or go to Murderific.com. We will be executing podcasts one crime at a time. <laughs>